1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. This morning we're beginning a little mini-series on the church. We're taking a break from the Gospel of John over the next four or five Sundays. I'm not sure what Pastor Brown will be preaching on March 31st, but uh, at least for the next couple of Sundays, I'll be focused on the church. And then for the next few Sundays after March 31st, I'll continue this little mini-series on the church. And in due time, we're going to cover the church's membership, her leadership, and her purpose. But today we're going to focus on her essence. What is the church? What do we mean when we say the church? To answer this question, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2. The first thing that we should note is that the church is the people and not the building. When Paul writes to the church of God that is in Corinth, he's not writing to a building, of course. He's writing to people. In common parlance, we say, I'll meet you at the church. When what we really mean is, I'll meet you at the church building. And there's no really, not really a major problem with that, provided that we understand that that's technically incorrect. It's like saying, I'll meet you at the football team. When what we really mean is, I'll meet you at the field or the pitch. However, we do a similar thing in the English language in other instances too. We say, I'll meet you at the doctor, when what we really mean is, I'll meet you at the doctor's building or office. So, it's just an idiosyncrasy of our language to use words that technically refer to a person or a group of people in such a way that it refers to a place. It's just a way of speaking. And as long as we understand that it's just a way of speaking, that it's an imprecise way of speaking, it's not the end of the world if we say, I'll meet you at the church. But we do need to understand that the church is the people and not the building. And no one will be confused about who or what the doctor is. Nobody is going to begin inquiring about their health problems to the walls or to the light fixtures or to the furniture at the doctor's office. When we say, I'll meet you at the doctor, we're actually not liable to any misunderstanding whatsoever. No one in their right mind thinks that the building is the doctor. There's no potential for confusion when we use those terms that way. However, we are susceptible, history has proved it out. We are susceptible to misunderstanding when we refer to the church as, or pardon me, when we refer to the building as the church. History has played it out that people do wrongly think that the church is the building. And so they began to reverence, or to esteem, or to have a high view of the building. 
Just look at church history. Look at the very existence of cathedrals. People become almost superstitious about the building. As if God is here in this physical place within these four walls that he's present here in a way he's not present out there. But when Christ said, I will build my church, he wasn't talking about brick and board. Jesus was talking about the people. It's as if he was saying, I will add person to person the way that you add brick to brick until there is a unified whole for me to dwell in. God in Christ, by his spirit, is present in his church in a way that he is not present outside his church. But it's not... It's not a contrast between in here and out there. It's a contrast between among us and among them. This raises the question then. How do we differentiate between us and them? How does someone distinguish between the people that are the church? And the people that are not the church. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 2 teaches us that not only is the church comprised of people, but the church is comprised of believing people. Notice that it says that the church is comprised of all those people who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look, that's an equivalent phrase with the church of God that is in Corinth. Everything that comes after the church of God that is in Corinth is an equivalent phrase to the church of God that is in Corinth. Paul could have just simply said to the church of God in Corinth, or he could have said to those sanctified in Christ Jesus in Corinth, or he could have said to those in Corinth who are called to be saints, Or he could have said, to those in Corinth who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of those things are equivalent terms. They mean slightly different things, but they describe the same set of people. And so, this verse teaches us that the church is comprised of all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the phrase, call upon, means, in its biblical usage, basically to take or to own someone as your God. And so to call upon Yahweh is to take or to own Yahweh as your God. Or to call upon Baal, as in, you remember that scene where Elijah confronts the prophets of Baal up on top of the mountain. He says, listen, you call upon your God and I'll call upon my God. To call upon Baal is to take or to own Baal as your God. That's what the phrase means biblically. It means basically to take or to own someone as your God. As Gordon Fee notes in his commentary on 1 Corinthians, those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ are those who have put their trust in Him 
and pray to and worship Him. Those who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ then are those who have taken or have owned our Lord Jesus Christ as their God. We should know here then that authentic Christianity is not merely about following Jesus' ethic. Authentic Christianity is not merely about following Jesus' example. Authentic Christianity is not merely endeavoring to do unto others as you would have them do unto you, as our Lord taught us. Authentic Christianity is not merely following Jesus' example of love and laying down your life for your friends. Authentic Christianity is not merely showing the same kind of human care and concern for the poor and the marginalized that Jesus did. As when we read that He saw the crowds and had compassion on them. Authentic Christianity is not less than any of those things. All of those things are part and parcel of authentic Christianity. But authentic Christianity is far more than any of those things. Authentic Christianity is far more than what passes for Christianity in so-called Christian nations like Barbados. People think that they're Christians because they think that Jesus is a wonderful teacher. People think that they're Christians because they try to follow His example. And they feel like they're ready, like Jesus was, to go to the cross. They feel like they're ready to likewise lay down their life in their service service to their family or their friends. And so they look at themselves and they say, I'm a selfless person. I'm a kind person. I have admiration for Jesus. I believe in the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I think that Jesus' ethic is commendable. And so I'm a Christian. But this verse teaches us that to be a Christian is to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. To take or to own Jesus Christ as your God. Authentic Christianity is believing that Jesus is the Word who, as we've seen in John's Gospel, was in the beginning with God and was God who became flesh and dwelt among us, who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who has been raised from the dead. Who has ascended into heaven. Who gives the right to all who believe in Him. To become children of God. Who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Who will come in the same way as we saw Him go. Riding on the clouds of heaven. Authentic Christianity is believing all of that. Taking all of that and exclaiming with Thomas, My Lord 
and my God. Authentic Christianity is calling upon Jesus' name. Authentic Christianity is owning Jesus as your God. Are you? Are you among those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ? Are you inside the church or outside the church? 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2 tells us that the church is all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Meaning that the church is not only people as opposed to a building, but the church is believing people as opposed to unbelieving people. Listen though, authentic Christianity is not simply a product of our choice to believe. It is that, but again, it's more than that. Authentic Christianity is rooted in God's choice of us. Look here in this passage that the church is called, the church, pardon me, is called people. People who are called. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Remember that these are all equivalent terms. He could have said to the church of God that is in Corinth, or he could have said to those called to be saints in Corinth. This verse is admittedly At face value, not the clearest text on what theologians have called effectual calling or irresistible grace. But when we consider the implications of what Paul says here, this verse is actually a very convincing proof of that doctrine. Paul says that the church is what the church is is those who have been called to be saints. Now, Sunday by Sunday, I and every gospel-believing preacher here in Barbados or elsewhere around the world call all the people who are in front of us to be saints. There is every week an appeal To turn from your sin and to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Week by week, whatever else I tell you, I always tell you that. So every week, you're called to be saints. Each and every one of you. Without exception. And everyone who's ever walked through the door of this church has been, in that sense, called to be a saint. Everyone who has ever sat under the preaching of the gospel, everyone who has ever been evangelized has been called to be a saint in some sense. There is what theologians have called a general call, which is to go out to all people without exception, 
We're to go to the ends of the earth. To every tribe and language and people and nation. To call people to be saints. And you'll notice from this verse. Saints isn't like Mother Teresa and people in, in, up on the walls. Or stained, in stained glass paintings. Or people of whom statues are made. Here in this passage, saints are actually everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. So when we talk about calling people to be saints... We don't mean we're calling them to a monastic life or anything like that. That's probably self-explanatory as I'm going along, but it's worth saying explicitly so that no one gets the wrong idea. When we evangelize, when we preach the gospel, we are calling people to be saints. And we're to go everywhere to the ends of the earth to call people to be saints. That's what Jesus told his disciples to do in Matthew chapter 28. Go make disciples of all nations. Another way to say that is go call them all to be saints. We are to strive at that. To work hard at that. To make progress in that. To learn new languages and to translate the Bible into new languages so that we can go more effectively to the very edges of the globe and call people to be saints. And thus far, the work has prospered greatly that Jesus gave His apostles to do. All we need to do is consider ourselves as a case in point. Here we are in this little island in the Atlantic Far away from the nation of Israel where Jesus spoke to those men at his ascension. And here we are. And so we see from church history that countless thousands upon thousands, millions upon millions of people have been called to be saints. There is a call that goes out to all people without exception. To all people everywhere, as Acts 17.30 puts it. To repent, to turn from their sins, to believe in Christ Jesus, to be saved. Does that therefore mean that all people without exception who have ever heard the gospel, who have ever been invited or entreated to be saints, are therefore the church? Of course not. That would, be, that would be a ludicrous conclusion to draw. That there's no distinction between those who believe and those who don't believe. Only between those who have heard the gospel and those who haven't heard the gospel. That would be a ludicrous way of understanding this verse. The implication then is that there is a call which makes people saints. There is a call which actually sanctifies in Christ Jesus. As this verse says. A call which actually sets people apart. There is a call from God which makes people the church. Theologians have called that call irresistible grace. Or effectual calling. It doesn't mean that God grabs hold of you like a tractor beam in a science fiction movie and pulls you into his clutches while you're trying to steer everywhere else. Rather, the irresistible grace of God or the effectual calling of God is God's work of making you willing and able 
and desirous to believe. John 6.37 says, speaking of a group of people that the Father has given to the Son, all that the Father gives me, that's Jesus, will come to me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. There's no subset of those who have been given from the Father to the Son who won't come to Jesus. The only way that that can be the case is if God's agency guarantees that those intended to come do in fact come. And the means by which the Father draws, as John 6, 44 says, is to remove our blindness and to show us the glory of Christ. Wooing. Wooing instead of coercing our hearts to Him. No one ever came kicking and screaming to faith in Jesus Christ. All who came were drawn because Jesus said, no one can come unless the Father who sent me draws him. But everyone who is drawn came willingly. As 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6 puts it, God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. In the face of Jesus Christ. The context of that passage is that we were blinded by the God of this world. That the gospel was to us veiled. God overcame that. He showed us Christ. He spoke light and understanding and perception, as it were, into our souls. The way that he spoke light into the darkness of Genesis chapter 1. He wooed us in. He called us to be saints. That's the sense in which the phrase is used here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2. There are many who have been called to be saints by preachers. Many who have been called to be saints by evangelists. Many in your life whom you have called to be saints, but who have not come. But all those who have been called effectually by God, irresistibly by God, wooed by Him, not coerced by Him, wooed by Him, drawn by the Father, as John 6 puts it. All those who have seen the light of God's glory in the face of His Son because God has shown them that glory. All of those who have been called to be saints have responded by calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you personally speaking to every individual here in this room, have you experienced that call? I'm not talking about have you ever heard a preacher tell you the gospel. I'm not talking about have you ever been in church before. 
Have you ever been evangelized by a friend or a family member or a co-worker? Have you ever had God show you His glory in the face of His Son? Have you ever had God draw you so that you come to Jesus? Have you ever had God call you to be a saint? That's the difference between being inside and outside the church. There is a work of God in your heart that is necessary. Have you experienced that work of God drawing and calling you? 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 2 teaches us then that the church is people as opposed to a building. That the church is believing people as opposed to unbelieving people. That the church is those who have been inwardly called, who have experienced that drawing of God upon their hearts, as opposed to just coming and just sitting with hard ears, as we might say, to the preaching of the gospel. This is what the church is. Believing and called people. This is what the church is. This is her essence. But notice that Paul doesn't leave off his discussion of the church as the church universal. As in, those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't only say that. He writes specifically to the church that is in Corinth. So there's this organic connection, of course, between the church that is in Corinth and those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. But you need to see that Paul speaks to Not just the universal reality of all Christians everywhere, but he speaks in this verse to those who have been called, those who believe in Corinth. We learn from this that the church is not always just a nebulous, unidentifiable entity. Real, but hard to pin down. Sometimes it is, but not always. Like, for example, if I said, I was assigned to speak at a conference a couple of years ago on the church today, which is a very broad subject matter. Which church? My church today? Your church today? The Bajan church today? The Anglican church today? The Methodist church today? The Baptist church today. Right? You can understand how the church today is a somewhat nebulous topic. It's somewhat, it's somewhat difficult to identify what or who the church is. Beyond just saying, they're those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. They're those who are called to be saints. They're those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like we can speak in 
those kinds of terms and define the church. But to actually say who is the church or what is the church is sometimes hard to identify when we speak in that universal sense. Consider that you often rub shoulders with Christians here in Barbados that you don't know are Christians simply because you actually don't even know them. Imagine now that you're in New York City. I've never been, but apparently the population is like 8.7 million or or something like that. How much more would it be the case that you would be rubbing shoulders with Christians? As you walk down those streets, you would be passing brothers and sisters in Christ. You would be walking past fellow church members. There would be a real, actual connection between you and them. But that connection would be unidentifiable. Or it would be impossible, say, on the crowded streets of New York. If you were in Times Square and you just saw people everywhere, it would be impossible to identify who is the church here. We can see that the universal church is a somewhat nebulous, somewhat unidentifiable entity. It's real, and we can say true things about it. We can identify its boundaries, but it's very difficult to begin trying to identify its membership or to perceive it in a meaningful way. Allow me to draw an analogy to help explain this. Let's say that you were at Grantley Adams International Airport with a ticket for Toronto. <laughs> by virtue of your ticket, by virtue of your ticket, you would have a real actual connection with all the other passengers to Toronto. Everyone else who is in the airport headed for Toronto. And you could say true things about who is a passenger to Toronto and who isn't. You could say, for example, only people present in the airport with tickets to Toronto at the time of boarding will be aboard the flight to Toronto. But as you looked around the airport, you still wouldn't be able to identify who's going to Toronto and who's going elsewhere. The universal church is to some extent like that. It's real, but it's somewhat hard to pin down, somewhat unidentifiable. However, the church is not always like passengers in an airport who are all scheduled to be on the same flight that are unknown to one another. Sometimes the church is more like passengers on the same flight once they've boarded the plane. They're now an identifiable group. You know who's on the plane and who isn't on the plane. Boarding the plane gives expression to who the passengers headed for Toronto are. We'll talk about this idea more next week, God willing, as we examine the church's membership. But for now, I just want to point out that the church does exist universally as those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the church exists locally as the church of God in Corinth. 
It's with this identifiable group in mind that Paul is able to write to the church in Corinth. There is an organized, identifiable entity known as the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2. It is the believing and called people in that particular locale. From this, we learn that the church is not just one big universal group of believing and called people, but that the church is also in particular places, local organized groups of believing and called people. So in summary, the church is the sum total of those people given to the Son by the Father, as John 6 says, who in due time have been called effectually, who have been drawn irresistibly to faith in Jesus Christ, to call upon His name. And the church is each local group of those people, organized together the way that Christ, as the head of His church, has prescribed. Those organizational principles are going to be the subject matter of our next several sermons in this mini-series as we examine the church's membership, the church's leadership, the church's purpose. For today, though, simply consider what you've heard so far and ask yourself some important questions. Are you among those who have been called to be saints? In the sense that 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2 means it. Have you been shown the glory of Christ? That is, His worth, His importance, His beauty. And have you been wooed by God to faith in Him? Are you among those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ? Are you sanctified or set apart? That's what that word means. Are you sanctified in Christ Jesus? Have you been set apart in Christ Jesus? The answer to those questions will tell you whether you're inside the church whether you belong to the church, or whether you're outside the church as yet. And if the answer is that you're outside, won't you come in? Won't you today, together with us, who are believers, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ? Own Him, take Him as your God. As we who are believers have taken Him as ours. The general call is going out to you, even now, in the preaching of this very sermon. If you're willing and desirous to respond, perhaps God is graciously drawing you, wooing you, even now, calling you to be a saint, in the sense that this verse here means it. Won't you heed the call and put your faith in Christ Jesus?
If on the other hand, as you consider those questions, you realize that you are among those who have been called to be saints. In the sense that 1 Corinthians 1-2 means it. That you have been shown the glory of Christ. That you have been wooed by God to faith in His Son. If the answer is that you are among those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that you have been sanctified or set apart in Christ Jesus. Then consider that you are, you are a part of the church. The church is you. Hear then some wonderful truths in closing about the church. And if you are the church, if you belong to the church, hear them and take them as your own. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5, the church is called God's church. This means that not only have we owned Him as our God, but He's owned us as His people. Acts 20, 28 says that God obtained the church with His own blood. Of course, we know that this was at the cross, whereas Ephesians 5, 25 puts it, Christ loved the church. Christian, that's you. And gave Himself up for her. Now and forever, as Ephesians 5.29 says, Christ nourishes and cherishes the church. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1 tells us that the glorified Christ walks among the seven golden lampstands, which represent His church. You, us, Christ walks among us. And though the word isn't there, the closing chapters of Revelation tell us that He's coming back for us to make all things new and to dwell with us forever. Behold, the dwelling place of God shall be with man. It is in Christ, because of Christ, and by Christ that God brings to its most ultimate fulfillment that promise that He repeats so often through the Scriptures. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Consider the privilege, brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, of belonging to the church of owning these things that I just read, which are just a sampling of owning these things as ours. Reading them as about us, for us, to us. Consider the privilege. And let's worship Christ, in whom the privilege is ours.